Welcome to the Championship Club podcast. I'm your host, Michael Casey, and co-hosting with me is a man with over 300 Championship Rugby appearances. It's Ben Gulliver. Be sure to check us out on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and head to YouTube to like and subscribe to the channel. Before we kick off today's episode, I'd like to say a big thank you to our brand new and shiny sponsor, Trojan Engineering Fabrication, part of the MFH group, and you can check them out at mfhire.co.uk. Bassi. Hello. Very formal. <laughs> Let's like make it a little... Not very good at that. No, I know. Uh, mate, me, this is Mike. Um, Hi, Mike. Mike normally takes the lead, but he's um, he's on the back of a four-day bender, so he's still a bit jaded, so I know... Uh, <laughs> the only man is in town. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm happy to sit here and be uh, just a spectator and observe this one, but uh, no, I'll chip in. Thank you very much uh, for joining us on the, on the show, uh, Ian. It's... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy to sit back and watch you two chew the fat from this one because a little bit jaded. Turned 30 at the weekend. It's been a big day for me, but oh. it's taken a taken a long time. I, I guess that's the age where your hangovers start hitting. What do you reckon, Gull? Well, last time I saw Vassi, he was um, he was stitching me up at his wedding. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was picking up the debris from the broken furniture. And all that. Yeah. Mate, let's get into it then. So, um, we're just... I've been trying to sort of... I've obviously known you for a long time and try and touch on... Sort of your experiences in the championship but also like in premiership and trying to piece together your playing career to start with is a little bit tricky because there's not a great deal on there and sort of where you know where it started and then how many times you're at bedford how many times you're at saints and then there's the yeah. day in there so you just talk us through that little that journey a little bit mate and then to the championship uh yeah so i suppose i'll go as quickly as i can um i did the, the academy at saints until 21 um, and then I got an opportunity to play in France. I had a choice between Saris or Stade Francais and chose to go to Stade well, with Nick Mallet there. Um, and we actually won the top 14 that year. But then we went, then Nick Mallet left and they brought in a French guy or Galtier, actually Fabien Galtier. And he uh, sort of brought with him whatever players he wanted sort of thing. So I was put on the edge of his squad. And about early August, he just said, oh, well, you're not going to play. You know, you just train and play for the same thing, basically. And I was like, well, all right, so I'll go. Um, and so, because it was so late, I had nowhere to go of a uh, top level anyway. So I just, uh, a couple of mates playing at Bedford. Right. Um, said, look, do you want to, I've got nowhere to go. Uh, won't cost much because I've <laughs> just been paid out. So <laughs> just all happy to play. Yeah. And um, yeah, so then just got a, got a chat with uh, Jeff Irvine and uh, Rudy Strowley at the time. And played a year there and played a Probably the first time I played 20, 25 games in a year uh, due to either being injured or young or wherever it was when you're in the academy, you know, you don't really get a run of games. Um, so then post that, signed Parlequin so after playing reasonably well that year. Um, but unfortunately, on the last day of that season, that season, they got relegated. So ended up back in the championship with them, even though it was a good year to give you kept winning. Yeah. Um, that a Quinn's uh, then? That was at Quinn's you in the champ. Yeah, so we played. I signed in the January, almost like early, because they were in the Premiership, and it was yeah. like I said, Bedford was like a stopgap because I had nowhere to go for that year. Yeah. Um. So I signed quite early, uh, but obviously that didn't work out for them that year, and they lost on the last day of the season. Mm. Um, yeah. So that was like all right. So I did a year in the championship again with Quinn's. Uh, played a reasonable amount, but then um, we obviously went straight back up, but. In between those times, Northampton changed their director of rugby, so um, they were keen on getting me back there. So I just spoke to Dean Richard at Quinn's. Like, well, you know, what do you think? Will I play? Won't I play? I had this offer to Northampton, and we sort of agreed uh, that I'd go there. So I went there. They got relegated. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> this is going well. 
<laughs> so I did the year in this championship with Northampton as well. Um, and then we got obviously got promoted again. Uh, after that, went to went back to Bedford. Um, by this time, the old knees were getting a bit rickety. Um, but with a few uh, few painkillers and a bit, of, a bit of care, got through five seasons at Bedford after that and still managed to get through 120 games or something like that. So um, I suppose in the end, spent the majority of year, my, my career in the Championship, having, even though I was with teams that probably shouldn't have been there. We're, um, been... I say, 12 episodes in now, Gully, and I don't think you've got to be the first guy that we've had on the show that's won the Championship twice, definitely. <laughs> and been relegated. And been relegated <laughs> twice. <laughs> Although... The first time wasn't my fault. Second time, maybe you've got a hand in it, but uh, yeah. And played in a championship final for Bedford. You're in that game. Yeah, so uh, we, we we won that Powergen Shield against Plymouth, who were good back in the day. Yeah. And they had the Ascots, and um, who's a big lad in the break, come and remains a decent Alfie, player. Alfie Tuala. Yeah, yeah Alfie Tuala. That's it, yeah. Dumbledore Smith. So that you, uh, you must play with those, did you? Yeah. Yeah, so that, they had a decent... Were you playing? No, I was at Cov at the time then. All oh, right, yeah. So they had a decent squad at the time and um, it was a good game because the Bedford at that time had a good set of uh, ex-Saints players so that it was a decent level. Um, so we won that Power Gen Shield thing that first year. Then after that, the Bedford were pretty close to semis most years in the playoff stuff yeah. uh, without quite having enough depth to get to the final um, with... Uh, you know, with the likes of Bristol about and people like that. Yeah. What's your um what's your view on the championship now, mate? Obviously you've you've played in it, you've been involved in different le- ways of getting promoted into the premiership, different um formats in terms of playoffs, etc. And and then obviously when the funding was there. What's your, your general thoughts on it at the moment? Um I think it ha- it has suffered suffered greatly from the break uh, through not being able to prepare contract players, have depth to the squad, all those things. Um, but I still think it's the best tool to develop players. Uh, I think um, it, need, it needs more more time put into it, more money put into it. Um, I think the relationship with the Premiership clubs should be developed further uh, to to strengthen those relationships and put less pressure on squad numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, I've got nothing positivity for the Championship having played in it, developed coach players who and developed players who have played in it through when I was doing academy work at Saracens and that. It is the best tool, but otherwise the A-League is just a bit of a non-event. Uh, it's just giving people a game that's no real significance. But at least the Championship, there's points on offer, properly competitive against some hard-nosed teams or players, um, you know, who, who were playing for league points, essentially. So you get proper match situations to learn from, as well as um, good game time, not just once every four weeks when an A-League game is. Yeah, I was going to touch on like when you're at Saris and the sort of you had been academy coach there and playing at Bedford at the same time and developing players. Yeah, uh, there was a there was a period of time when the dual reg wasn't quite what it is today, and and the players and would, let's be honest didn't really want to be at their loan club. So how, how have you managed? Have you found a change and shift towards sort of player attitude from a younger age towards going to their loan clubs? Um, or is that I a think, coaching thing or is that a, just an acceptance? Well, I think that. The loan thing started way, you know, maybe seven, eight years, I don't know, seven, eight years ago when it was seen as a detrimental thing. Are oh, you going out on loan? Maybe for an older player who's not played, not even academy. And the academy weren't, wasn't really thought of. You'd play the A League or maybe in, you know, the whatever. And there was under the 20s league back in the day. Uh, yeah. So there was quite a bit of rugby at the club. So under 20s, A League, whatever, a bit of first team. You probably had enough rugby. But as soon as that 20s league went and the A League, um, well, there wasn't any second team rugby and then they formalised the A League. Uh, there was a niche for no rugby. So it, that I think it was more the, the stigma around the loan was more from older players going, oh, God, I've got to go on loan. Yeah. Um, whereas we suppose as 
academy coaches, we we sold it as and as it is the best development tool going to either OAs or, uh, or old Albanians or Amptool, whoever it is, uh, and picking the right level for the player to get to either, to get better physically or you know, tactically, whatever whatever reason he needs to develop or what side of the game he needs to develop. Um, we sold it as that because it's just otherwise it's not enough rugby to go around in a squad of thirty or sorry, a squad of forty senior players, and there's an A league game. That doesn't leave a lot of room for the academy to play um, in seventeen um, rugby, so it's absolutely key um, when used properly. So, yeah. so you're um, coaching at Northampton now, ahead of um, the the last season as it is now in the championship. The uh, the sort of formal partnership between Bedford and Saints was announced. The uh, strategic partnership, and obviously uh, a cohort of your young uh, players go there. Just wanted to sort of like maybe talk through how that works in terms of a, an operational sense. How it sort of how long the players spend there, how long the, with you at Franklin's Gardens, and what your thoughts have been now that the uh, the first season of the partnership has come to an end. Uh, like a bit of a review of of how it's gone. Yeah, well, we ran the same sort of scheme with Saris and Bedford because I mean Northampton missed the trick doing this. Uh, Earlier, I think, and whatever soured the relationship in the past um, didn't allow that to happen. But obviously, it was a trick that uh, we fell on at Saris at Bedford. Was so close to Saracens, and uh, you know, a good club that played a good brand of rugby with a stable base. Uh, it was the perfect sort of loan club in that sense. Um, so, but come, coming in, I think it's the logistics of it all. Really, making sure. The Saints first team has 15 v 15 for good training sessions and quality, but make sure the individuals in the academy have trained with their loan team and are available to play as much, often as can, often, often as they can. And then them playing comes down to their their performances. Then and it's up to them how they train and play for their loan team. Really, once it's handed over, they're handed over. Um, but it's more. You know, I I don't do it now, but Mark Copley that does the academy and um, Jake Sharp they just work with the director of rugby to sort of handpick sessions and trainings that help uh, the team prepare for the weekend. Um, whereas in the past, sometimes uh, people might have dropped in on a team run day or something like that. And other players in the championship clubs were a bit snotty about it. Um, but now they're trying to get them as much as we can. Understanding that that team development um, is as important because it, you don't really want them to spend from 18 to 30 at one club. I think it's great to get out and about and, work with other coaches and other teams, other team members, at all, not all levels, but at differing levels and environments. Do you think it's perhaps something that we might see more of, obviously, at the moment in the championship funding is a big thing. Obviously, the lack of game time available to premiership squad players, if you like, is, a, is an issue. Do you think that these strategic partnerships between premiership and championship clubs, whilst I know the dual registration system is being used by plenty, might be see, something we see maybe more formalised going forward? I think as far as it can possibly, I just because I think the Funding just means that to run a, I'm no expert on this, but to run a championship team, probably what do you need? 30 players, 35 players, maybe, mm -hmm. um, with, uh, with loans. So if you if it's a viable option and, and people have time and effort into making those partnerships work, either geographically or just on an individual basis, then it's got. I think it's got to be the way forward for a development tool. It's end, the amount of people who play Premiership rugby or England, England rugby or international rugby from championship teams or loans is it's fairly endless. Um, and I think there's a, they are a few, and their handling of the championship has been really poor. And I think that their lack of understanding about how it develops players, even physios, coaches, all those things, having coaching it as well, how it develops them so they're, they're capable of playing or training or dealing with premiership teams is absolutely key. And I think they're just missing a trick with it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's quite, would be frustrating that they don't actually, you don't seem to get any... Uh, 
not say is the wrong word, but it doesn't seem to be, they don't seem to be talking to people who actually have been involved or, or talk about how it develops players. It just seems to be taken as a given that um, they're in charge, that they dictate what happens. It, you know, I think it's misaligned and that misalignment will eventually hurt the championship. Yeah. I was going to touch on um, the coaching side of it and how the how the partnership works from that from that level with with Saints and and, and Bedford and also like how it's helped helped your career. Um, Steve, it's been yeah. Uh, well, one hundred percent. That that's part of my point. It's not just players that develop because I, I uh, initially when I was at Southampton's coaching, um, I went to Mark Call and said, you know, spoke to Mike. They haven't got a defence coach. Would it be good if I went and did defence for Bedford, trying to implement some of the stuff you're doing here? So when the players go on loan, it's not a different story. It's we're connected with some of the, some of the stuff they're getting. Hopefully, with a decent level coach sometimes. Um, so that um, <laughs> and, and that line that aligns partnership absolutely brilliantly. And so Jake Sharp now does some of the attack and kicking for Bedford yeah. from from Northampton out on Northampton base. And of course, that makes hundred percent sense. And so he's coaching the academy players a bit of stuff for the first team, but also getting some really good uh, coaching time and tactical coaching learning from you know. Coaching with Bedford, like I've failed plenty of times with Bedford with going too far, too low, you know, setting the bar too high, setting the bar too low, drills not being good. You know, you just learn how to fail basically as nice as possible way sometimes, uh, or learn what works, whatever you know, however it is. So, um, I've, I thought it was absolutely key to use that partnership for the coaches as well as players. And then your own personal development, because I was part of that as a player and sort of as a, as a friend at the time, sort of you know, defensively, you were, I suppose the way you used to defend, it, it's changed massively and then adapting, like you're saying, and, uh, you know, flying out the line with your high shots and all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there was a... And that's giving uh, Well, it was so, it was so slow, you had to absolutely 100%, commit, 100%, 100% commit to what you were doing because any sort of change direction you, you nail so you never make that tackle so just being ahead of the game think five meters faster than your legs go um definitely i was unconnected to everyone else around me 100 percent awful defender but the um but i guess the no it didn't it's not relative is it like you know i'd never said oh, i want to coach defense and from an earlier point no. um it's just sort of one of those things you fall on there's a there's a niche somewhere in some team like i said at that point it was a niche in the bed for coaching that um and I was working as hard as it made made sense, so it just sort of fell on that really in a little bit. Um, but in most coaching teams, you get to talk attack, defence, strategy anyway. So in, you know, in a good open coaching team, so you don't sort of not ju- you don't just stick with defence really. I think it's just part of the group, part of the title, isn't it? And then you've gone, yeah. you've, you've sort of looking at sort of Bedford and and Starris and you've you're practicing your defensive stuff and then you, you're in your academy coach role and then it's the England in the 20s role isn't it? and then that's where sort of things for your coach career like from a senior level I post that as things sort of started to move forward didn't yeah because it, uh, I think again uh, the Saracens model really helped in that they allowed us to coach the uh, whatever cup it was Anglo-Welsh whatever you want to call that now uh, yeah. that sort of second tier cup so we took that on um, as uh, senior academy coaches Um so that was good to develop, you know, to practice strategizing and working with first team players mostly, and obviously with some academy guys. Um, that really helped. And the England thing was just uh, one of those, I suppose, we applied again. The Southampton's allow, allow me to do a bit of both um, to develop was absolutely was key in that. Um, just applied for it, and when we went in pretty cold into Six Nations, as a, with uh, Tom Williams and Brett Deacon, and sorry, Lewis Deacon. Um, Men in pretty cold sat around the table, and Dean's like, Well, your head coach, your backs, you're doing forwards. We're like, Sweet, uh, okay. <laughs> so I was sat there with the first team meeting with the doctors, the head medics, and as a head coach, not having, oh, so you, you sort of tactically could be a head coach, but now you're talking about off the, st- off the, 
off the pitch stuff, you know, organising the, the medics and the physios, aligning the group, all that sort of thing. And slid a little bit in the deep end, but it was good. I 100% enjoyed it. Um, and it was just a, yeah, a little bit of the next step, I think, that uh, working with the England stuff is you end up working with the best players. Uh, it's actually a little bit easier because they are the best players, so they learn quicker and all that. So it was another stem cell key. That's just, so just, just so like, in terms of like your own learning, it's on it's on the job, isn't it? So you can do you can do your, your reading on it, or you can go onto your courses. And you know, for you, what's been like the, the biggest developmental practice and being thrown into the deep? Um, is it a mix of all? You know, what I'm kind of getting that here. Yeah, yeah. I don't think the really. I don't think the courses are that are developed for the top end of the game. To be honest, um, they're not saying they're not informative, and they don't, and they would guide a certain level of play or coach. Um, but they, they, you know, they're not very, they're not really aligned to the, the professional game, I don't think, or the top end of it, the top couple of leagues at least. So, but although they were good to meet, they were good to meet people on though, because you sort of have to do them. So, um, yeah. it was good for a little bit of networking in that sense. Um, but I never got round to doing level four or anything. Uh, more, more, not by. Uh, I tried. To, I was going to go on it and then didn't go on it because I went to France. But uh, in the end, it, I don't think it make a difference on it. But the. Um, experience stuff is yeah it's failing really more so yeah. because you it's it's about selection or a certain strategy that you wish you hadn't done or whatever it is and um or when you get a bit older it's pulling something from five years ago that worked that you've gotten worked and then you're like oh i should have done that and you know it's a just collective experience really yeah, week by week um season by season um bit by bit that the experience helps you um get through the sticky bits as well um, and not not get too carried away with the good bits. Yeah. And then you sort of you you moved down to France, and now obviously you're in the you're in a an English speaking coaching team at the start, weren't you? And then it's um, then things changed, and then you see you see a different side to the the French. The French, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was yeah. Again, it, that was a bit out of the blue. You just uh, went went for the for the job interview. Spoke to Vern Cotter sort of out of the blue. Um, uh, we we got on, and that. That worked. We had a good couple. Of years. I think we had a good couple of years. Get to the final, then became sixth. Got into the playoffs. But with French rugby, you just never know. President wasn't happy with something somewhere, and um, decided to change it to a French guy who had no experience whatsoever. Um, and he was fairly clueless about how to run the whole operation. Um, so everything just fell apart, really. And from players to coaches to medics to, uh, but that is like you say, to pretty typically French, just employing the name and not a someone who knows actually knows what they're doing. And I think. Um, I think the best part of you being over there was the infamous Ian Vass Rosé tours. Oh yeah, the Rosé tours were top notch as well. <laughs> Lovely part of the world. That was that was a good hit. There was no you could go home and pretty much forget about the rugby when you're at home uh, with the Rosé tours being very high on the on um, everyone's wish list when they got here. Go on, where are we going? Where are we going? <laughs> Mike, just for, just for context, like there there isn't a Rosé tour. It's just Vassy. No. <laughs> I'm sold on anyway. It sounds sounds fantastic. And yeah, then, it's just me walking around with my going to different bars, drinking different types of rosé. I think there's a market for it. There could be. And so I then think the, there was as well, yeah. <laughs> and then the opportunity to come uh, back to Saints in a coaching capacity kind of coincided nicely, or how did that all come about? Yeah, it was, again, I think most stuff comes really through a bit of potluck. And uh, Alan Dickens went to the England 20s job, uh, and that just opened that roll up. And as, as Gully said there, you know, was, the French guy was messing about a bit. And just so I spoke to the president and we sort of agreed to to do it at a certain point in the season that suited. So I think it was post, post-Christmas part, post the first bit of Europe. So um, it's sort of a clean a clean time for both both of us. And um, and yeah, and uh, that, because the timing actually worked quite well in that sense. Um, there wasn't too much hassle. 
Um, and we, allow, we although we're sort of going to do it at the end of the year anyway, we sort of managed to bring that forward uh, just because, again, the French politics is worth probably better just getting out of there um, and getting cracking with the Northampton gig. And then Kobe came along, messed it all up. But. <laughs> so uh, this season then at Northampton, obviously uh, caught the weekend's game. Heck, that was uh, must have been a bit of a sickener to take. Uh, how has that been a review coming back into? Was it at 18 points up, final last-minute penalty loss to the Chiefs? Yeah, it's a, in, in some respects, it shows how, how I think how far we've come, that we can, even with 14 players, we can match the intensity of Exeter and, and actually surpass it. And uh, so that's good for the future because we've got a pretty young set of, set of lads in there. Um, but it probably shows where they're at in their ability to maintain their composure, their ability to uh, minimise errors when post first half, um, and uh, you know squeeze squeeze teams and fatigue teams um, because of their relentlessness, and that's that's just a sign of a good team, I suppose, and why they are where they are and where we need to be. But the, the good signs of that are, you know, right at the end there, we're still pushing to score with 14 men after six five minutes and competing with the best, one of the better teams in Europe, and we're probably kicking ourselves about 10 minutes after half time where we, we I think we just lost concentration whatever you want to call it there was a loss of something uh, for 10 minutes and then we sort of back into it and we got playing again so that that's a disappointing element I think the good thing coming out of it was that everyone was not just happy with a good effort we were pretty disappointed because uh, we took a lot of time and planning during the week to get the performance and we got most of it but against one of the really good teams you have to have it for the whole game yeah I've, I've watched it and it's I think from the outside and I've not spoke to you for a while is that I watch you guys play and I love the brand of rugby you're playing and, and it's can you match it match a team physically and then that first half you, you matched it and you, you went up a notch didn't you and it's the, I think it's the most physical performance I've seen from mm. this team and that's that's obviously a big part of your what you've been doing there as well mate so. yeah I think uh, I think in the way it goes around with defence uh, I think their physicality or line speed whatever way you want to phrase that where yeah. you're going at them the aggressiveness is the last thing you can have if you're not organised trying to do that it's all pretty messy so, uh, you know, spent a good deal of time getting ourselves organised and uh, we've, we've become a fairly safe defence, um, you know, quite reliable. But that was, the right, like you say, there's a different level of defence and probably the level you need to go to the next step where you're actually getting the ball back quite quickly because you're going so hard at the opposition um, in an organised way. Um, so, yeah, 100%. And like I said, it's a glimpse of what where we can get to rather than where we are. And that's the positive, positive side of it, uh, especially after coming off the back of last year um where although internally you could see progress obviously the external results weren't great um but bit by bit little by little learning by learning we were getting somewhere and that, that sort of bore fruit bore fruit fruition sorry throughout the throughout the years we went through so that's why we are where we are we're yeah. good but not quite good enough and but we will i think we will be uh because of some of the signs we saw on the weekend as well i think anybody watching your game at the weekend obviously would not argue with sort of the the intensity and passion that went into that final sort of late season game, but obviously there was things riding on that game. Um, one of the sort of um, counter arguments to getting rid of promotion relegation is that at the end of the season you would see a lot of nothing games and sort of meaningless games. As I say, the game that you had played out with the Chief is probably not a great example of that point. But in terms of your own thoughts on promotion and relegation, have you strong ones? Are you able to share them and air them with us? Or Yeah, what do I think? Uh, I don't think it's the be-all and end-all, but I do, I do think it's important that if a team has developed itself in the championship and comfortable and winning and secure and on in a good financial state that why shouldn't they be allowed to have a crack like other teams have because other teams have proven that once you're in and you stay in it you, you 
you can keep going forward. You know, the Bristol's next as this world. So I'd, I'd hate to see that door shut. And I think as long as there's ambition in the championship, it means that that league's alive. And as soon as that ambition's dead, I think that league probably dies. So um, I'd, I'd think I'm probably for it in the end because of those reasons, because uh, it allows you to have 24 professional teams uh, rather than 12. You, by minimising your professional pool, you're minimising your, your ability to develop more players, late developers and all that. So I think the bigger pool of players, the better. And I think promotion and relegation are key to that because, like I said, if, if you haven't got that many teams, you lose half your player pool, basically. And half the jobs, half your development tool, half everything. Yeah. And then in terms of a development tool, Saints is a leading example of English players and, and, and that side of it. There was the stat earlier on in the year when yeah, I saw that, yeah. you had 15 English guys that were either academy or EPS and all that. And then we spoke with Steve Bowden about it and the Sail Shark sort of recruitment strategy and the South African influence is sort of how that affects long-term development of the English game. And we just wondered your views on, on that side of it. And yeah. It, your recruitment strategy, do you, are you looking championship or are you looking everywhere? Um, I don't think, I think if someone is playing well in championship and going well, you don't 100% that's, that is a pool of players you could contract from. Okay. Um, I don't think you, well, I wouldn't thought you'd specifically target a championship player. I think if they're playing well and standing out, that's a good sign. So you might have a go at trying to sign them. Like I said, there's plenty of late developers um, who can come through that route as proven by Bedford's history of that amount of players have come through there. Um, so I don't think that's true. I think the thing is that the advantage you have from the foreigners if they don't leave, you, whereas we we have you know Courtney Laws, bigger Mitchell, those sort of lads go to the EPS and you miss them for big big periods of the game. Uh, sorry, big periods of the season. Um, yeah. And for a team that's uh, that's trying to get towards the top, um, you know we sort of we sort of need the cream of our team to be playing regularly to, to maintain that level. Now we've buys, for example, sales uh, model and. Leicester a little bit now as well. It just means they've got the nearly their best team available most weeks. Um, so it's a, basically it's a competitive advantage. It's a choice and a competitive advantage. Um, so uh, obviously Chris Boyd and the board made the choice in Northampton to go down one route, uh, which is the route I agree with, by the way. And um, it's, uh, yeah, well, I think it's a choice. Two different models. What can you make of it? Although in every team that goes well, you have to probably have a couple of two or three bits of stardust in there that that make, makes a difference for you, um, which I think I agree with too. I think you need that. Yeah, you've had a couple of us here at Doncaster in recent seasons. It's been really good to see uh, Tom James go so well at Scrum mm. this year. And then previously, yeah, Pierce, really well. Pierce Francis is a, an ex-Donny Knight who's obviously, well, he's gone on to international honours since uh, yeah. moving to Northampton. So that's... Uh, and there are two players as well that probably came a little bit later. You know, they were sort of both mid to late twenties when they uh, when they made that move, uh, which is great to see. Um, we are, of course, a, a championship podcast, and um, this weekend the playoffs are coming up. Um, of course, one of your uh, a side that you coached at Saracens, albeit in the academy, taking on Ealing Trailfinders in the first of the two-legged playoff for promotion this weekend. Did, have you kept any eye on, on on how Saracens have been in the championship? And he thought, obviously, it's an unusual set of circumstances bringing them to the league. But uh, any comments or sort of any observations on on, on their time in the second tier? Um, only that they, I think they started the year. Uh, they well, they had to start the year with their academy group, and they struggled, not struggled, but they, well, they did struggle actually, didn't they? they? Their first couple of games probably showed that that when you play academy or young academy players against men, it's is a level. It's not level. It's a. You find a level of game, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Wow, that's 
that's 15 men and not an A-League game where it's, you know, kids running around really fast. You've actually got men running straight at you who actually want to hurt you. So um, I think they found out that that out pretty quickly and learned from that first game. Um, or in fact, probably learned for that. Those little games had the healing, didn't they, before they started. They probably knew they were in for a tough tough few games uh, but in reality after three or four games when the other lads came back from internationals they're, they're way they're one of the best teams in Europe there's no there's no real comparison to be made um, in terms of quality and depth um, it's, they're a league apart they'll you know they'll I think they'll probably win fairly comfortably um, and it's not any to any detriment to Ealing or anyone else it's just they're a league they're one of the best teams in Europe so when they're all together playing with a full, full squad which they will have with the Lonies coming back nearly all of them coming back um, they'd be 95% of the Premiership, let alone the top of the Championship. So, um, it, uh, you know, in the end, it's, it'll probably be a mismatch. But I think they, they learned some lessons from some of the younger lads um, in that first part of the year. Um, good ones as well, probably. Yeah, it's um, it's been an interesting few weeks, hasn't it, with the with the final and then them going up into the Prem and see where they sit next year. And then just in terms of your, your Saints and next season, um, you got one game to go, haven't you? Uh, is it one game? Yeah, Bath yeah. on Saturday. And then sort of um, next season's goals back into a proper proper season, aren't we? And, you know, when, yeah, when nice. start, pre-season, start pre-season and how long have you got off and when can we get on the piss? <laughs> <laughs> well, both good questions. Um, the, well, yeah, so we get, about five week, we get about five weeks off to actually have a pre-season. Um, I haven't had one yet with Saints, obviously, come mid-season. And we had about three weeks before we played another half a season straight into another season. So, um been pretty relentless so looking forward to a few weeks off um and uh, on the piss bit we can we can definitely we need to organize because i'm in need um to have a bit of release uh next season i suppose oh, it's pretty clear isn't it we, we are we are in the league um and we need to be higher so um that's that's the goal i think we've had we had a little off patch that we like to talk about before but we learned quite a lot from that we've gone upwards we need to keep going upwards whatever that looks like um, made a little bit harder by probably Saracens being there, um, but there's no there's no reason um, to be fine that consistently that we can't push on into the into the you know semi final sort of area. That's got to be the goal from after the season. Yeah, what, what I meant to ask you last time I saw you actually, and I just want to touch on your you've got the Lions players actually, and the influence that bigger Dan bigger has on, on your squad and sort of the guys that you've worked with in the game. Sort of his influence on that Saints group is just like for me personally. What, is he a standard driver? Because he's obviously a class operator, and last weekend he was really good. So. Yeah, unfortunately, we've not really had him and Courtney play together very often. Um, yeah. It's only really been the last couple of weeks they've played together because Courtney was out for so long. Um, yeah, yeah, of course he drags everyone with him. Really, like it's the work ethic uh, off, you know, during the week, um, the preparation uh, during the week, onto the field, into the his work rate on the field and physicality on the field, like not not shying away from anything, any sort of confrontation. Of course, that everyone looks up to that and wants to be that person and follow it. So, really important to us in that sense. And then, like with Courtney. It's, it's probably more the way he goes about his business. Like the on the weekend, going at Exeter, being of a level of player that can go at attacks and defend and show and steal the ball. It's, you know, you're like, oh wow, who's this new player we got? Like, you know, and this he's uh, pretty good. So <laughs> um, when they're together, obviously you get someone looking up the back, someone guiding the forwards, and you get a bit. You know, there's no surprises. Your level of performance. And intensity goes up. And you've worked with Farrell and Bigger, who's starting at ten in the summer. Oh, I think they'll fight. They'll fudge it somehow. I think it'll be ten, twelve. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I don't think they've really decided how they're going to play yet. It's a bit of a mixed match and mismatch in in selection. So, um, uh, yeah, I think they're, they're similar. They're similar in how they go about the business, their competitiveness, their drive, their weak, all that things. You know, they're all that's why they are where they are. Um, I think they'll probably play together, um, at least in the first test, um, and then probably see where they're at. Um, I don't know really who else would play with them in the centre, Henshaw maybe. Yeah. Um, but so cause I think what worked in South Africa, sorry, in New Zealand was having the two ball players. Now I know they're not known for their ball playing, but at least if one goes at line and carries, you've got no one straight away ready to roll. And that might be important against South Africa, um, even though they're probably not known as ball players. It allows you to do that like they did in New Zealand. Um, I think they'll probably go, I think Gatlin's probably trust a small group of people and he'll probably go with who he trusts. Mate, it's been, um, I think, about time, but I don't think I've ever spoke to you for this long uh, without. No, I'm pretty bored. I'm pretty bored of you, to be honest, as well. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you. I can see you jumping like fucking. I'll shut up, Ellie. I've got a bottle of rose in the freezer. Have you? Yeah, you should see the weather. I'm stood inside till June. There's a bottle of rose in the freezer. <laughs> Where's your pasta? Where's your shirt? <laughs> the shirts, mate. It, it's in the bottom of the wardrobe, waiting to be unwrapped for some some sort of occasion that deserves it. We, am I okay to use that as a promo on uh, the video? So Vassy's got. Fit. You're not on social media, so you'll never see it. But uh, oh, oh, what the first bit? Yeah, so, no, yeah, no, yeah. You've just got a, just your shit. I've got a picture of you yeah. in your softer shirt. Well, is, is that is that skinny Vassy or fat Vassy? Uh, fat Vassy, which was fun Vassy. No. Oh right, see, so okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, pretty visible when I'm skinny. When I um when I mentioned that we're chatting to you to to Georgie um. She's like, oh, Chiminda's coming on. It was amazing. And then <laughs> just thought, oh, fuck, yeah, the beer dwarf. So I thought, <laughs> she said. <laughs> yeah, mate, use what you want. I don't care. Yeah. But, uh, we only have to talk about rugby, though, which is fair. It gets fairly bland. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. No, no, mate, it's, it's been good. There's loads in there. Mike, you got any, anything else that needs to be driven on your list? No, mate, just the idea of drinking rosé makes me still feel a little bit ill. So uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm more than happy to leave you to it. And uh, no, thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, best of luck against Bath. It is a shame that talking about rugby gets in the way of good conversation. But I guess yeah, exactly. that's yeah, the space that's that we're in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no worries. Actually, we'll see you, mate. Thank you. Bye, mate. Come on, man. I'm, leaving. <laughs> I'm leaving, man. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that was the Championship Club podcast with Michael Casey and Ben Gulliver. Check us out on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe and like our YouTube channel.